for this material, like I really wasn't thinking about an audience. I wasn't like, uh, I was compelled to make it like following this like pretty intense breakup. And I was going mm -hmm. through a lot of like dark stuff on my own. And I just, I, it sounds cliche, but I literally just needed to make it. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, I chat with Rafay Rashid where we cover some early influences that led him to music and performance. We also cover the path Ravi Shavi has taken with regards to their lineup and releases. Plus, we discover how a friendship with members of Deer Tick led to the start of their band, Happiness, as well as Rafay's other musical projects. Most importantly, we take a deep dive into Kitchen Weapons, the new solo album he's set to release on May 26th. It really is a great record with a meaningful backstory so I hope you enjoy the episode and learn a little bit more about that here. And pick up the vinyl via Almost Ready Records when it comes out. As always, please tell a friend about the show if you like it, and share via your favorite social media platform. You can follow me on Instagram at where the living room used to be for some show flyers, photos, and a whole lot more from her FaceTime and music. Thanks! Yeah, my um, my earliest memories of of music beyond just hearing it, you know, in grocery stores and on the radio was uh, in my parents' friends' living rooms. So my dad, okay, my dad, who uh, you know moved here from Pakistan along with my family when I was five, mm -hmm. um, he would um, go over to his friends' houses and bring us, bring the kids, and they would just. Uh, you know, start dancing eventually at some point to random music, sometimes Pink Floyd, sometimes Santana, sometimes um, Elton John, Deep Purple. I remember being a band in there and all of this. Maybe, okay. Maybe some Billy Joel. And they would just, you know, have a good time and party in this in living rooms. And I just remember music was sort of the activating agent for these living room parties that my friends, uh, my dad's friends used to have with them. Okay. And about how old were you? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. I think, I'm thinking like uh, probably around from the age of probably like six to 12. Okay. And would you go out and dance with them or were you just more of an observer with it or did you get into it as well? I think I would get into it here and there, you know, there'd be a certain, sometimes, you know, and the parties would get a more like, um, uh, rambunctious, I'd probably like, would be a little bit more separated or we, yeah. you know, when the cards and the smoking cigarettes came out like that, <laughs> when like the kids would probably not be around as much. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, I was, I was a rowdy kid myself. I was shy, but I was rowdy. So I would also probably be jumping on my parents, friends, shoulders and, and all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess it just kind of comes to mind. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to see you play quite a bit um 
And, you know, from my observation and just from others, like you, you yourself are quite well known for your performance, you know, like your dancing, um, like you just kind of give it your all. Like, do you think that some of that stuff ties in, like just seeing the stuff at, at an age and just like being able to express yourself uh, more freely at that time? Like, d have you pulled any connection from that or? Yeah, I think quite literally I've, I've stolen dance moves from my dad. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, like I can definitely trace trace that i don't think the moves have a name per se but like oh, okay yeah 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 he was kind of known as like you know he was my early model of um somebody who could sort of command the attention of the room by just uh -huh. like dance the way he would dance and it was always like the sort of uh there was always a weird element to it in terms of some of the dances were a little bit like you know i just hadn't seen them anywhere before uh-huh so I don't know where he was calling them from. I'm still not sure if I've seen a lot of them some anywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's, it seems like it's helped out, you know, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, when did guitar and singing or any other types of like instruments come into, uh, into your life? Yeah. So, I mean, probably similarly to a lot of people, um, in my generation, I'm 33 now, but, um, you know skateboards and guitars sort of uh -huh. like came hand in hand um but i remember even since i was in sixth grade i wanted to like be in a band and we would have band rehearsals but not play anything or have any instruments but around the age of 12 or no sorry around the age of 13 i think i got my first guitar and didn't really start playing it all the time until i was about 15 16. okay mm -hmm. and, and you grew up in warwick right I did, yeah. So, yeah, Pakistan to age five, then five to age eight in New York, then eight onwards in Rhode Island. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So you just were kind of like hanging out with some other kids that were skating. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. It was the same kind of thing. Like when I was a teenager, like I was a very bad skateboarder. I could I could barely even call myself a skateboarder, but we'd hang out and skate. And then we would just be like, well, let's start a band. And then we'd go to my basement and start playing you know and uh yeah before I even that was how i taught myself how to play drums was just learning uh with this band basically is that basically what you're saying of like you just had these these friends and we're just hanging out and it was just that uh connection with them of creating uh wanting to create with them in in, in some way yeah i think those were the really early on days like um the very first instances i remember somebody came at me with that uh skate magazine called ccs and then okay. were, and then they also had a cd and we're like this cd is great to skate to like, yeah it's great to skate to so like uh, yeah that was like early pop punk and then i was listening to like a lot of like uh probably like nirvana and like system of a down and random bands like that yeah well definitely it was like super well connected like i, I remember watching old like skate videos and it was just so intertwined of like that was how you found out about new music was because it would be the background tracks to you know skaters doing you know crazy tricks or whatever and be like who's this band you know and yeah it'd be some punk stuff or some hip-hop or whatever you know but um yeah. yeah so what like what kind of music were you playing then was it um so punk yeah. punk or grungy stuff or um actually right my first band was probably the most experimental band i've ever had and oh really like, in some ways i still use it as a model for something to return to eventually which i still haven't but That's um cool. yeah it was called yelling game um oh, okay and we, were, we were like 14 and we actually i think our first 
gig outside of Warwick was at the living at the old living room. And, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, our drummer used to play a steel chair and uh, and bongos, and uh, our keyboardist. Um, you know, he wouldn't even face the crowd. And then the rest of us would sort of be doing these chants and yelling. And admittedly, a lot of it was like immature humor based songs that were meant to like push buttons. So we were kind of infusing it with like a punk spirit, but it what didn't have like the the punk motif of like distorted guitars and whatnot. It was just kind of making random noise. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, like, uh, in high school, probably is when I started, um, when we started booking shows at AS220 and whatnot, and I had been playing for a bit more, that's when I was incorporating more like con like traditional song writing structures and, and writing in the vein of like, I was listening to a lot of, I think, early 2005, 2006 indie music. So I got into mm -hmm. like Animal Collective, like Arcade Fire, Hot Chip, TV on the Radio like all these bands that were big, like right around then. And then, you know, found those and like, who were they influenced by? And of course it was just the greats like David Bowie and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Prince or whoever else. So we were, you know, by the time I was like 17, we were just kind of incorporating the pantheon of songwriters. Yeah, yeah. So you did that for quite a while then, like for, um, for, you know, an early band like that, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we had Yelling Game for about like, I think three years almost. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Then what was your next step after that? Like, or, or what kind of uh, pulled you away from that? Were you looking to do something that was more structured in a sense or um, did it just, you know, as things go, I mean, it sounds like it kind of went through the end of high school and obviously stuff kind of shifts with, you know, the personnel of a band, but. Um, yeah. Uh, stuff shifted. I, because at that point I was 17, I was only able to sing. So like, I didn't have the confidence to play guitar. So I uh -huh. couldn't really, like make my own songs. You know, I'd always had to like, like mouth something to my bandmates to see if they could like, transcribe what I was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Um, or I just dug what they were playing and started adding stuff. So I guess when, by the time I was like 18, I went away to uh, SUNY purchase. And that by then I had enough like, uh, basic knowledge of guitar where I could incorporate my influences and kind of um, actually translate some of the ideas that were happening in my head. Uh -huh. And so then, you know, I was writing more in the vein of like the clash and the talking heads, you know, things that I could um, make with a bit more immediacy and were more along the lines of like what I was listening to. So I got a little bit more punk, uh, but also like new wave influence around then. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so when did Ravi Shavi start? I mean, that was around 2012-ish or so. Was that um, was yeah. that your next band then when you kind of... Yeah, uh, it was. Um, I think our very first gig was 2011. And okay. uh, so I think I had written all the demos at Purchase like in 2010 and then had brought them, uh, formed a little band in 2011. And then we played like... I think it was Liberty Fest in 2011. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, that was sort of our first gig. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, what, uh, what was the original lineup of the band? And, and were they just some old friends? Or? Yeah, um, you know, I think it was a mixed bag. But the, the guitarist, lead guitarist, was Jim Galvin, who's a dear friend of mine still, who I grew up 
uh, and he played in all my high school bands as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the bassist was Wilson Keithline, who's a great bass player, and um, he uh, he was in one of my high school bands. Um, another person who was in it, who I think you uh, might know from Providence scene, is uh, Mugs Fogarty. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, they were in the initial lineup as well as a vocalist, and uh, we had met in New York when uh, they were attending the new schools as a purchase. Oh okay. Um, and. Who else? Oh yeah, Joe Carulla was playing drums. And I think uh, my buddy Samson, who wasn't really a musician, but I always had like one or two people in the band who didn't play music at all, just like singing and dancing around. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, it. Yeah, and uh, you know, from what I've seen, you know, the research I've done, it just seems that you came out pretty, pretty strong from the onset. I mean, um, I mean, granted, yeah, you said that you did that show in like, uh you know 2011 but it seems that you got pretty busy you know already recording some stuff pretty quick and, and doing a lot of shows can you talk about that you know early era of Robbie Shavi you know like those first uh few years you know it seems that you were just doing a lot yeah I mean I think we packed in most of a lot of the like the leg the formative legwork right then um <laughs> yeah and uh you know we recorded our first album in the barn that we used to practice in in high school but we recorded it in like two days um and had it mixed and ready to go and by then people had started showing up to shows and we were just a hungry band so we were just playing mm -hmm. everything all the time um mm -hmm. and uh and people started showing up and then um i think then we re released self-released a couple of eps um because we pretty soon after we formed i think about a year or two in we um we really got along with atlantic thrills who are another providence band yeah um and so they were like sort of the our the other band who was doing kind of um garage rock influenced music and um so we really saw eye to eye when we started collaborating and playing together and so eric recorded our next album which was an ep uh called independent uh-huh and at the same time, we have recorded another EP called Blackout Deluxe um, with our engineer, Jesse McFadden, who did the first album. Um, so we had like a dual EP release night at the Columbus, which, oh, was, yeah, yeah. which was really fun. And that, that took us, I think that's almost taken us already to like 20, like 2016, 2016, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, Could you actually talk a little bit more about that? Just because I've never seen a band do a, like a dual EP release and how you kind of did like sets and you took a break and had some guest, you know, performers, Roz played it, uh, Alec Redfern played it, you know, people that you have like this, you know, deeper relationships now and, you know, collaborators now, but yeah, I don't know that, that uh, particular show kind of stood out to me. So I don't know if you can talk just a little bit more about um, kind of the, the, the thought behind how you're going to do this and releasing, you know, two separate things on that same night and, uh, you had like a photo shoot booth or something like that too, or I don't know, it just seemed like a, an awesome time. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of those years were kind of, I don't, I know the word like manic is overused. Um, and, but like, that's sort of what we're feeling at a lot of the times. And, you know, we weren't operating with um, really a, a keen sense of like management or, 
or publicity or anything. It was just kind of shooting from the hip and we just happened mm -hmm. to have two EPs ready at the same exact time. So <laughs> we were like, you know, we had been working with Eric, but then we had worked with, um, with Jesse on two different EPs and they seemed like they had uh, enough of a different sound. And I think our drummer, yes, our drummer had changed between then. Ben Tucker okay. played on, on Blackout Deluxe. Uh, which was called courage at that time and um andy wilmarth had played on independence so uh, mm -hmm. they represented two different uh iterations and they just happened to be at the same time and you know i just thought it was a it was a novel concept um, mm -hmm. to do and it, it turned out people you know responded to that i think mm -hmm. you know just the idea of doing um of, of doing two eps didn't it didn't strike me as weird when I was thinking about putting it out. Um, but then when we did it, I, like it occurred to me, okay, this is a little different than the format. I think the Columbus is the one who proposed, like, why don't we do like an evening with Ravi Shah? Uh -huh. And uh, now I was like, that's a great idea. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I love it. I mean, it, it's, uh, it is something that uh, is, is, you know, kind of a new idea. I mean, granted, you did this a while ago, but, you know, just something that I haven't seen other bands do. And, uh, it makes complete logical sense. So it's cool that you uh, embraced it in that way. Um, and it seems like others embraced it. But yeah, I mean, I guess kind of with that, since you're just kind of bringing up some different, you know, members right now and that have gone, uh, you know, that have been part of the band. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other members and, and how people have come in and, and come out and what they, what that's kind of meant to you and meant to your sound as a band? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the first person that comes to mind is my um, uh, good friend and our lead guitarist in in the band, Nick Politelli. Mm -hmm. uh, and so before him, it was basically just just me writing for the first album. But when he came in around 20, um, pretty soon after, like those first two years felt like a decade, but like he came in <laughs> um, probably right at the end of 2012, early 2013. Okay. Uh, and so he's been in the band since, and he's a really talented songwriter. And um, the first time I heard him playing guitar, I had heard I was had heard guitar from another room at a party that I was at, and I was just taken by the sound of the playing. And yeah. so I followed the sound, and it led me to him on a couch. And so I asked him to be in the band, like right there, and he said yes. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So um, kind of uh, you know his his style i think he was a much more advanced guitar player and still is than i am um and he's really influenced by folk and ragtime music um oh, okay so he had gotten his start playing uh early gigs in london uh when he was i think he had like spent some time there when he was around the age of like 1920 um mm -hmm. and so he came back with that sort of um flavor and introduce that into our music so you know now if you hear um most of our songs anytime there's like a finger picked pattern um you know that's Politelli. and then of course like he also loved the um the uh the strokes so you probably hear that a bunch and oh, okay yeah the teens and arctic monkeys and and bands that i also really like but he really loved those bands so, mm -hmm. yeah um, so he was, you know, he came in and has been with us since. And then there's been obviously so many uh, people who have 
who have cycled through the band that I, I, I won't name them all. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, a couple of the people who are who were formative for sure were, um, you know, Ben Tucker, our drummer, Andrew mm -hmm. Wilmarth, our, our drummer for a bit, and then after them too, it was um, uh, Nick Eden. Um, and mm -hmm. so, uh, unfortunately, we never got to record uh, any music with Nick Eden um, before his mm -hmm. passing. Um, but uh, so those guys, and then. Um, Shah Jahan Khan um, has come into the fold uh, since 2020 on guitar as well. So now we've become a five piece. Okay, yeah. And uh, of course our, our our bassist, Brian Fielding, who we all lived in a house, me, Brian, and Nick Politelli lived in the same house for several years. Um, so all these guys, you know, were, were super important. Um, yeah. To the sound. Yeah. Did you guys, uh, when you were living together, did, is that where you guys practice was, or did you, uh, have a separate space or were you guys just, you know, working together the, while you were together there? Yeah. Um, we all lived there. We practiced in the basement and we also threw shows in the basement at a space called headquarters for a little bit. Oh, right on. Yeah. Cool. cool. Um, uh, with your, uh, most recent album with Ravi Shavi, special hazards, um, that was released in July of 2020. Um, but when was that recorded and, and where was that recorded? Yeah, um, so Special Hazards was sort of a kind of a last ditch effort to compile all the stuff we had made since putting out those EPs, since putting out Independent okay. and Blackout Deluxe. Um, we had amassed all these demos over the course of like, I think, um, from 2016 to about 20, uh, well, now I don't want to get the timeline of this wrong. Um, we had amassed a bunch of demos, basically, I think even from like 2014 to 2017, I want to say. Um, okay. And, and we had cut down like about 80 to 90 demos down to uh, 20, five or so songs um wow. and then we recorded about i think like 18 of those songs in a week um at, i believe i want to say it was um at the very end of 2016 but i'm not 100 percent sure oh, okay <laughs> yeah wow okay uh so then what was the process then of putting that out well, it took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, see, that was the answer. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it took like three years. Um, and I think partially that was because we were on a delay with Almost Ready, who we had been working with. So they had sort of um, put out our two EPs on vinyl um, after we had already self-released them. Okay. So we had sort of had like a two-year delay on the on from when we had finished recording stuff to like when it was out via almost ready. Okay. So that accounts for at least two of those years, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then the other year was I think our album art, and I think everyone was just sort of like not really sure, having already put out three albums, like not really sure what the next step was in terms of like are we gonna. Kind of like try to shop this around to labels are we gonna uh -huh. um, put it out 
through Almost Ready, or you know, where where does music fit into our lives as far as like our other jobs go and careers and things like that. So um, yeah. all of that combined with the fact that like, you know, it's a, it's a tricky process to put out an album anytime. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, eventually it did come out in July, 2020. No, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. We finally started writing some new material. We have like a whole new lineup right now. Um, and uh mm -hmm. you know nick politelli and i are still in it um but uh we have chuck perry on bass we have john farone on drums um and shah Jahan khan on on second lead guitar so we finally started writing some new material and hope to get in the studio at the end of the year have a few shows um but beyond that yeah um just excited about the future You know, you've done quite a few shows with Deer Tick back in the day. I mean, you played some Dude Smash shows. I can't remember if you did both of them or one of them, but um, you, uh, you know, have connected with them pretty early on. And, you know, you currently play in uh, a band, Happiness, which is uh, Dennis, Chris, and Ian from Deer Tick, and, and you're in it as well as a singer and guitarist. Um, can you, I guess, you know, kind of talk about that band, Happiness, and how that kind of came about. I mean, as I was just saying, like you've seemed like you've been friendly and been connected with them, but how did the idea for that band come together uh, for you? Yeah. Um, I think it's still quite a mystery how it happened. Um, we actually <laughs> played, a, we played our sort of um, our last show at Askew recently, not like the final show, but just our latest show. Um, and we were talking about how it had been 10 years and uh -huh. I, I had one idea of how it was started and then somebody else had, a, and then had another idea. So I think we were just compelled to make music. We had enough friendships between us. Um, yep. the Columbus, um, had a show, uh, I think it was like one of their early revival shows, like 10 years okay. ago. Yeah. Um, and somebody had suggested because they heard that me and Ian, I think, had been making demos. Like, why don't we um, like play together in a band? Um, and so then we did Happiness, and um, I think it was formed for that show. From my, from what I remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're recording this now, so it's 
that's the answer now. So <laughs> yeah. until any of them do a, a podcast about happiness, and this is a you know definitive right. answer. <laughs> right. I mean, they can try to you know to supersede that answer. But. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, what's it like writing in that in that way? You know, I mean, you're you're. Um, you know, Ian writes some stuff, you write some stuff, uh, you know, it sounds like you're doing that as well with Nick and, and Robbie Shavi, but how is it different? How is it the same as, as, you know, working with, you know, other, uh, projects that you're in? I think with happiness, it, it's a strange thing that happens with the, um, with the side, it's, it's like a side project in, in our minds, I think, because so in a way it's like, well, anything we bring to that band there's a reason why it, it didn't mm -hmm. uh get brought to the to the other band like whether like why it didn't get um brought to deer tick or ravi shavi so i think maybe that means that we tend to put our stranger stuff into happiness uh -huh. um and so the songs i do find like are more idiosyncratic in general and like we just take a chance more there's less of there's more of a case of like you know the fuck it let's just like let it rip and um and see what happens um to be honest we don't write that much actively for that uh project um but i hope that we pick it up again but you know when it was when we were writing for it it was a very fruitful time and a lot of it was done like while we were on these small um runs of shows so like uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the the album live contains many songs that were written like kind of on the road. Uh, okay. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, were they written in a collaborative sense? Like, were you sitting with with Ian and like writing them together, or were you like kind of writing? You know, because you obviously we're going to talk about your solo record. You know, Ian has his own solo music as well. So I mean, or, or you know, were you writing solo songs and then having Dennis and, and Chris fill it out, or were you like all four of you getting together and 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 creating the songs kind of jamming together and, and developing them uh i think it was a bit of both like Dan dennis and ian and i had each brought like two or three songs uh, okay to those initial very initial um sessions at dennis's house um mm -hmm. in Pawtucket, and so we just jammed on those kind of maybe helped each other out with like a verse or a bridge somewhere mm -hmm. Uh, but then once we started playing shows is when we um, needed longer set lists. So um, yeah. Yeah. we just made more songs. And those were more collaborative. Like those were like, let's tag team not only uh, the arrangement, but we'll tag team the lyrics and we'll even take turns like singing the verses, um, which oh, is cool. always fun to me because I feel like that doesn't happen in rock music and things like that.
Yeah, and I mean, since you kind of just brought it up, you're going to be going on tour with Deer Tick. Uh, you've got a string of dates around the Northeast. Um, you know, a lot of the, well, I know the Rhode Island shows are sold out, but, uh, you know, if you're listening not in Rhode Island, you know, please go and check out uh, the dates uh, in New York and Massachusetts and stuff like that to go and check out uh, your shows. But, uh, yeah, what, uh, you know, what do you have planned for that or, or what are you most looking forward to of uh that string of shows yeah so this string of shows will be the um the first time we play any of this uh kitchen weapons material live mm -hmm. uh, kitchen weapons being the, the solo album uh the debut solo album um and uh you know i'm i'm i think equal parts kind of terrified and uh excited about about doing it because songs are, are vulnerable they're kind of um musically walking uh, or treading into areas that Ravi Shelby has not or happiness either. Um, so it's just kind of unchartered territory for me. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'm excited about that. Like with the, the content of the songs, like the lyrics or? or um... Kind of a bit of everything. Like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, like I, so I wrote the songs on piano I didn't really know how to play piano when I wrote that. Oh, okay. Oh, um, yeah, right. So, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I'm not playing piano on the tour, but um, because I, they were they came about in this way that was, um, you know, new and unique to me. Like, I I just don't have a precedent for it. But they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're sounding really good. And um, uh, Chris and Dennis from Deer Tick are actually going to be playing uh, bass and drums, so they'll be the rhythm section on the tour. Oh, okay. Yep, and uh, uh, super excited to have some of the collaborators on the album also be in the um, in the band as well, um, namely Liz Eisenberg, who also plays in Huntress and Holder, oh, yeah. and has her own project, Triptychs. Uh, so she's going to be playing piano and singing as well. Um, and then we have uh, Shah Jahan from Ravi Shavi and the Kaminas playing guitar. So, um, cool. yeah, it's a, it's like my dream uh, cast for a band. So I'm really excited. That's awesome. about yeah. Yeah. And with regards to the record, you, you know, you're kind of talking about the, the people that played on it. But, um, you know, yeah, it, it definitely seems like you were able to take a lot more um, uh, liberty with with what you were creating on this you know and there's a lot more sounds you know like there's a lot more strings and horns um like who were who else like played on the album um or did you bring in some some outside folks to do this or do you just have some super talented friends that uh covered all that stuff or um you mentioned liz but you know uh, yeah definitely the super talented friends i would say um, <laughs> yeah uh, so the people who played on the album um, are so Dennis produced it and mixed it. Dennis Ryan from Dennis Ryan. Ryan. Yep, Dennis Ryan of Deer Take played drums, mixed, produced it, um, as well as co-wrote some of the arrangements. Mm -hmm. uh, and Chris Ryan and Amato Zeno kind of split bass duties on the album. So they, oh, okay, yeah, a lot of the upright bass is. Amato and the electric bass is um, Chris. Okay. They wrote some really amazing parts for it. Um, Robbie Kroll, um, he recorded these tremendous synth parts and 
uh, horns as well from Nashville. So he used to play keyboards in, in Deer Tick as well. Okay. And he just plays in so many other um, big bands that I can't even keep track of them. Um, he played, Florence Wallace played violin. Um, and then we have Steve Delmonico played some acoustic guitar. Nice. Um, yeah, um, I think that might cover it in terms yeah, of- Yeah, okay. I hope I didn't leave anyone out. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, uh, you know, with regard to that, like, it's definitely a, like recognizable, I guess, you know, like it's uh, for what you're doing, but it seems that you did, uh, you know, allow more space, like some of the songs, um, Monogamy and Pain Palace, like they just have these like longer, outros that uh you know are you know wouldn't didn't seem like they'd fit with like a ravi shavi you know like compact two to three maybe four minute long song um how, was that like an intentional thing as you were coming into this project of wanting to kind of explore more sounds and have, have more of that you know i'd say soundscapey type stuff to it um versus it just being this compact song and probably you know like here's a neat package of you know garage poppy stuff or whatever, you know, like how much did you want to evolve with that or, or did it just kind of come out naturally as you were writing this and just say, I, I want this to repeat, you know, for another minute or two or whatever it is at the end of a song. Yeah, I think I, I did feel sort of untethered to this idea of a neat package. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of what I had been doing for Ravi Shavi for so long. And um, for this material, like I really wasn't thinking about an audience. I wasn't like, uh, I was compelled to make it like following this like pretty intense breakup. And I was going mm -hmm. through a lot of like dark stuff on my own. And I just, I, it sounds cliche, but I literally just needed to make it. And so I think mm -hmm. a, lot of, um, a lot of these like longer outros were just like me, like feeling the release in a while of making yeah. like that sort of like catharsis so i probably just wanted to sit with that catharsis a bit longer and um and see where it went and i think i knew also that we were gonna be tracking stuff over the initial track so i wanted to leave space for um other instruments to emerge and, and kind of yeah build the dynamic that way and also sorry i forgot before um uh, the last uh, the last question but personnel on the album nick politelli also played guitar ian o'neill played lead guitar on landline and john mccauley played accordion on a song called city of love oh cool yeah i was actually going to bring that up city of love because that song uh stands out to me you know it's probably personally my favorite song on the album um so yeah i just wanted to have you i guess talk about it just because I, 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 you know, particularly like that one. Uh, it just, uh, yeah, I like where it sits on the album. Uh, I think that it just has a cool uh, change in vibe to, uh, to what you've been listening to prior. I mean, it, I guess we'll just say it is a fantastic record. You know, people should be really excited about checking this out. Um, you know, especially if you're a fan of Rafe or, or just a, you know, a fan of anyone that, that he's mentioned that that's part of this stuff. It's, it's a really interesting record and in, in what you explore, but yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the song city of love? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you saying that about the album. Um, city of love was about, uh, 
a uh, prolonged fight that I had with uh, my ex in Paris, or uh, what was my who was my ex while I was writing the mm -hmm. the song, and uh, I don't know. I guess that's kind of the sort of the the cheekiness or like the the almost like French up tempo vibe that. Mm -hmm. Trying to translate with the piano part and kind of just having fun with it. The, the, um, the, the song has, you know, outlines like kind of a a not so fun experience, mm -hmm. but in sort of a a fun removed kind of way. You know, I guess enough time had passed, and um, uh, I just. Uh, you know, I felt like kind of making fun of myself and the whole idea of writing a, a breakup album on a piano. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the cliche wasn't lost on me. So, like, we even use um, you know the person's name in the song, and it was just like kind of like so overboard uh, with the concept that I think mm -hmm. it almost became like a parody of itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh obviously we talk a, a lot about music here but uh just to, you know the what music can do just how like how this can help you know release these feelings and these thoughts and and you know kind of shift these um these you know moments in our lives that can be as you know as painful as they are whatever else it is and just helping to to kind of share that with others can can be so helpful i guess you know so um you know in, in that kind of context it uh it's you know just kind of rang Frank true, you know. Um, but how long did it take you to write this album? It was really quick. I don't know the exact amount of time, but in my memory, it, it feels like two weeks. I think it might be right wow, around. Okay. Um, yeah, it was basically relationship over. And then um, I moved back into the apartment that I lived in with all my uh, bandmates, but most of my bandmates had moved out by then. And so I just kind of had this empty top floor apartment on the west side. Um, and uh like an eagle square actually um and yeah just went downstairs and there was a piano uh that wasn't there before and it was an upright mm -hmm. and the songs just kind of poured poured out one day after the next and most of them were written in in one day so uh, i think i wow. had the album within a couple of weeks and then dennis came over and um uh, engineered it right there on the spot Okay, it was it was recorded there, or yeah, it was recorded in the basement. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And how did that come about? Like working, was it something that you had um, kind of planned on working with Dennis? I mean, not that this album seemed like it was something that you're like, uh, you know, had a lot of foresight into writing this particular thing, but um, but had you uh, just always kind of had Dennis in, in the back of your mind of the engineer that you're going to be working with and this capacity because you would just work with other people you know big nice studio and some other you know people in the past but uh, was it just um yeah i think dennis i just trusted him with the material like mm -hmm. the release uh, i was in a very like kind of raw place and um, yeah uh you know i've been through a lot with with him and i think I, he um he's someone who i knew could like handle that with with care but also like bring it to uh those places that I, I thought it could go to in terms of like the, uh, the, the pop potential, I guess as well. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I, Dennis is, is a genius as far as, um, as everything goes. So I, I trust his taste with everything. So I think anything that I 
bring to him will like inevitably improve. But yeah, before I let you go, I uh, just wanted to kind of touch on a couple of other projects um, just for the music history part of this. You know, back in, uh, I, I guess, maybe around like 2017, you played in a band called Lookers as well, uh, which, you know, had Muggs and Muggs Fogarty, uh, Brian as well. And, you know, it's kind of some of the people from Ravi Shavi, you know, Brian and, and Nick and uh, Florence Wallace, correct? Can you talk a little bit about that band and... Um, you know, just kind of the, the start and why you wanted to do that particular project. Um, yeah, I think that just came about um, through uh, Muggs and I's friendship um, mm -hmm. that, you know, spanned uh, almost, uh, you know, I think eight years or so um, by, the, by the time we had started writing that material. Uh, and from... Uh, from early on, I think we had already started collaborating. Muggs had written the lyrics to uh, one of Ravi Shavi's first demos for a song called Birds. So I think that mm -hmm. air, uh, collaboration was always um, was in the air. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we had only found the right time uh, to do like a proper set of songs together. So we had written um, that first EP, Mirage, um, in, in that same basement uh, at Alston Street uh, in 2016. So, um, and then the rest of the lineup just really just felt like a, a, the natural uh, progression of thinking uh, between people and peers that we trusted and admired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, were you writing with bugs or how, how was the process for that? Yeah, we were just writing, uh, I think uh, just, Muggs would take the sort of rain on the the lyrics and uh, the melody, and we would I would do more of the musical arrangements and also contribute to melody, and uh, we just sort of like um, crafted all the songs kind of in the box, sitting uh, with a laptop and all of our gear in the basement, mm -hmm. and uh, would just kind of you know come out, go in with the intention of making a song and come out hopefully with a demo. And I think we had come yeah. out with like eight demos by the time um, we had started doing our first practices as a band. Cool. Yeah, and I'm just so pumped on where they took it, like um, like where the live band took it. And, you know, like they, they actually recorded the EP while I was doing an artist residency in Brussels. So like I just got to see this EP come yeah. from a distance and I was like, oh, well, you know, it just goes to show like how many different ways things can come about when you bring people into the fold. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, we have studio time booked with Bradford at Big Nice in September. So we're gonna record another EP. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, you also have a project with Alec Redfern and Dustin Rooney. Um, I'm probably gonna butcher the name of it. So I'm just gonna ask you to, to tell me the name of the bands, yeah. the name of the group. <laughs> yeah, it's called Hevs. Inexplic okay. Inexplicably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, you've done shows with Alec, and uh, and you know, so this has a from what I've gathered, just a, a much different sound than other things that you've been a part of. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what that sound is, and you know, what you get out of doing a project with uh, you know those people? Yeah, it's uh, basically the sound has somehow been kind of like a, a hybrid of new wave and hip-hop like mm -hmm. our two genres i don't think have mashed together that much in the past um it, it came about just i think through mutual admiration um and i i know i've been a, a big fan and follower of alec and dusty um both since i started making music and mm -hmm. i think dusty actually took the reins and in having us uh, gather in a space and start making music. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Dusty had been kind of like encouraging me to um, to rap. <laughs> and, oh, really? Uh, yeah, so I was like, I'll give it a shot. And uh, so, uh, you know, now it's sort of straight away from, from rap into something else. I don't know if it's singing or talking or what. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, again, kind of like happiness, but uh, even more so like kind of using this project as a vessel for those ideas that don't necessarily uh, make sense with anything else or don't even make sense within Hebs, you know what I mean? So yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just, it's just a time for us to be like truly, um, truly wild. Mm -hmm. No, that's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, you've done a bunch of shows around it. What else do you have lined up or what do you see uh, in the future for Hebs? Yeah, has um I mean I hope we just make uh we make a record before the end <laughs> of Hebs. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh like yeah, you would think we would want to make at least one artifact. Uh, and I yeah. think probably uh I I couldn't tell you if that'll happen, but I I hope it does. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Last question I always ask you know, with everything that you've done, you know, songwriting you've uh, been a part of and, you know, shows you've done and whatever else it may be, like, what would you say has been your greatest musical accomplishment to this point? Um, to be honest, I would say probably Kitchen Weapons. Um, nice. Yeah, as far as recorded music goes, um, it would be that, um, as well as, um, you know, I'm super proud of the Lookers EP. Um, mm -hmm. And then as far as shows go, I would say probably getting a, a strange chance to play in Shanghai at, at, at an art museum in 2017 would probably yeah. top the list of surreal, um, surreal feeling experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine what that'd be like, but uh, that sounds pretty amazing, so. <laughs> are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Rafay, thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing everything that you, uh, you know, have to offer in music and in this, you know, little kind of time capsule of, of music in your life. But uh, thank you so much.
Thanks so much, James. Appreciate that. On a blue afternoon Not a thing in my room The ceiling stares back at me And I feel complete All of my friends have been dead